Now, the, par- the word parable means to put alongside for the purpose of making a comparison and to give a new understanding. So when Jesus began doing a parable, he wasn't just trying to be a storyteller. He was trying to make a point. He was this master teacher. He was a master storyteller, and he wanted to illuminate a specific understanding and a specific point concerning the kingdom of God, and he wanted us to understand them through parables. His parables focused on us understanding and knowing about God, knowing about God's ways, knowing about God's kingdom, and also our role in that, in that kingdom, in what God wants to do. And so there were three things a parable intended to do, which we're going to expand on this morning. The first thing a parable is meant to do is they were meant to divide the crowd. And that might sound a little odd. It might make us a little uh, uneasy to think that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came with an intention to divide the crowd. But if you go and you read through the parables and you find a parable that has a reaction of people in the crowd, you're going to see there are two opposing views. There is a view that people who love Jesus and love what he is saying and love what he is teaching, and there are people who absolutely hated it and they wanted to be done with him. The second thing a parable is meant to do is they were to reveal the heart of an individual. This came as a result of dividing the crowd. They understood what was being taught. Some of them liked it, and so they responded positively, revealing that they had a good heart, and some of them hated it, which means they responded negatively, revealing they had a bad heart. The final thing that parables were meant to do is they called an individual to dig deeper for further understanding. And this is what the disciples do throughout the ministry of Jesus. Not necessarily here concerning a parable Jesus taught, but in understanding what Jesus' intentions or purpose of the parables were. And so we're going to expand on these three things this morning as well as a few others. And the first thing I want to just turn back to reminders is that the parables were meant to divide the crowds. And again, we might hear that and think that doesn't make much sense, but listen to what Jesus said. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The divisions through the parables is because of one's personal response to what Jesus was teaching. It's what Jesus is saying from the Gospel of Luke concerning himself. People respond to Jesus differently, causing division based upon their conviction about who Jesus was. But the parables were meant to give direction to the disciples, direction to the followers of Christ, and direction to us today. And I think we get a good idea of directions uh, and understanding that. And where you are in a country depends on how people give you directions. Would you agree with that? If you're in the city and you ask for directions, they'll probably tell you to go down a couple blocks, take a ride on a certain street, you'll come to the highway or the interstate and just head south. But if you're in a rural area, the directions can be quite sketchy and difficult to follow, right? If you ask somebody maybe even around here, you know, how do I get to such and such a place, they'll start giving you directions Well, you want to drive down this way until you see two wheelbarrows on the right, and then you'll take the first left you come to, go past Billy Bob's farm, but it's not Billy Bob's farm anymore, he sold it a couple years ago, but go past the farm, you know it's his, if there's an old red barn, looking like it's about ready to fall apart. When you pass that, you want to take the first right you come to, you're going to go down a steep hill, and then back up a big hill, across the creek, don't worry, it hadn't rained in a while 
across so there's not much water in it. Then you're going to take three sharp lefts, and when you see a big tire at the end of a driveway, that's where you're going. Anybody give directions like that? You're all like, nothing, I don't see anything wrong with what you just said. That made perfect sense. I know exactly where we're going now. But you don't know what to do. Do you write the directions down or you draw pictures, right? But when it comes to directions, how we receive them is related to how we respond to them and how we apply the directions, which is where, to get to where we want to be. And when it comes to Jesus' teaching, he is calling his audience and us today to trust him to trust him with the directions that he wants to give. And so parables divided an audience based on their response to the instructions or the directions. And so if we were to get directions and we listened to it and we wrote it down, but as soon as we drove off, we crumbled up the paper and threw it on the floor, we would be responding to the directions in a negative way because we wouldn't be applying them. But if we applied the directions even if they, as absurd as they may be, if we applied them, it would show that we actually trusted them and we respond in a positive way. To the crowds, the way each individual responded to the directions and instructions through a parable given by Jesus would determine which side they stood on. And the response to the parable would reveal the true nature of their heart. So if we write something off as rubbish that God is teaching us or directing us or pointing us to, then we aren't responding to it appropriately. In other words, but on the other hand, if we hear it and we apply it, then we're responding positively. Even if we stumble in the process of doing, we're understanding that I can trust this. I need to follow this. There's a point to this, even if it doesn't completely make sense. Well, on this occasion in Matthew chapter 13... We're told the disciples, meaning the followers of Christ, they come to Jesus and they're asking for the meaning or the purpose of parables. The same passage can be found in the Gospel of Mark, but Matthew has a little bit more here, so we're going to use Matthew as our passage this morning. Now, in the context in Matthew, this question comes immediately after Jesus gives the parable of the sower. And the disciples heard the parable. They probably didn't understand it, which is why Jesus explained it later. But they come to Jesus asking, why parables? So let's read our passage. When the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, their case, indeed, their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their eyes they can barely hear, or with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, understand with their heart in turn, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This can be one of a many difficult passages in Scripture to understand, 
Like parables, they call us to dig a little bit deeper, to draw out the meaning of what Jesus is saying. The reading at face value would make it seem like Jesus is using parables with the intention of veiling or hiding the truth. But when we take all of Scripture, we know that can't be the case. Because Scripture tells us that Jesus came to make God known. He came to make God's ways known. He came to make the kingdom of God known. So if Jesus was using parables with the intention to hide the truth, then that would contradict what Scripture says about Jesus. So there has to be something more. Now, in explaining why some people don't understand or they can't see or hear the truth, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. That it comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. You can find that in Matthew 13, verses 14 through 15. And what Jesus does through these verses, this Old Testament passage, shines the truth. There is a difference between a disciple... When I say disciple, I mean a believer, a Christian. There is a difference between a disciple and an unbeliever. That's probably not a revolutionary statement for me to make from the pulpit. We probably all understand that. But it helps us understand why unbelievers struggle with understanding the things of God and the things in Scripture. A true disciple of Christ has the eternal things revealed to them because they have the Holy Spirit inside of them and an inner desire to know more about the things of God. So if you're a child of God, you are a believer, God has put his spirit inside of you so you can know more about God, get deeper into God's presence and deeper into your knowledge of God, and so that God can use you in a special way. An unbeliever, we tend to forget this, but an unbeliever does not have the Holy Spirit. An unbeliever does not have the Holy Spirit, therefore in their current state, the truth of eternal things is concealed. Now, this isn't because Jesus or God concealed it from them, but rather their heart and their mind and their personal agendas conceal it from themselves because they're more attached to this world and their sinful nature. We mentioned this a couple weeks ago. They are living in darkness and have this inner fear of coming into the light lest their sinfulness or wickedness be exposed. And so, therefore, when they see the light, they can't understand it. Because darkness is the only language they ever knew, so it's like a foreign language to them. Now, when Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven there in verse 11, Jesus is speaking about the kingdom that resides in the heart of every single believer. Because the kingdom dwells in us through the Holy Spirit, we are able to understand the secrets of the kingdom. This does not mean that unbelievers are denied this access or this understanding or this opportunity to believe. The problem is their unbelief. The unbelief of an unbeliever prepare, or creates a barrier. It creates a barrier to believing anything about what Jesus said, anything about who Jesus was, anything in Scripture. This is why it's important for us as believers to dig deep into the Word of God, to understand it. So when we're in a conversation with an unbeliever, we can communicate it in a way to which they can come to belief. But Jesus also reveals through uh, speaking about Isaiah that another reason an unbeliever will not accept Jesus Christ, and he's speaking about the crowds he's talking to. He has unbelievers in the crowds, even though they have titles of religious titles, right? But they're unbelievers, And he tells his disciples, the reason they can't understand who I am, the reason they can't get on board, is because their hearts have grown dull. That means their hearts have grown hard. They've grown hard to the things of God. 
And if you need an image of a heart that is hard, you can go to the book of Exodus and look at Pharaoh. His heart was hard. He did not know God. He did not want anything to do with God. And he didn't care what God's people said about him. That's where an unbeliever is. Their hearts are dull. They're hard. Now, an interesting word Jesus uses is secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Some version of scripture, that word secret is read as mystery. In the Greek, though, the word does not mean something that is complicated. And it doesn't mean something that is hidden. Rather, what that word means in the Greek, it's something that doesn't make sense. So the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, we know as believers, it makes sense to us. To unbelievers, it makes no sense. The things of the Bible make no sense to them. And there are things I understand as believers, anybody ever come across a passage, you're like, what is that saying? If you haven't, start reading your Bible. You will, okay? There are things in Scripture, at first glance, which don't make sense. And so what do we do? Well, because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we get to dig deeper into those things to unpack them. But it requires us to dig deeper. The unbelievers, the things of the Bible, they seem dull. They seem boring. And since they are dull and boring, they have no desire in seeking to understand the Word or the ways of God. In other words, they cannot perceive it. They cannot understand it. Because the Bible is dull. It is boring. It's irrelevant. And so it remains a secret to them. We also see this role play out in individuals as they come with their own preconceived notions and convictions and beliefs concerning God, which causes a stumbling block or a wall to any sort of conversation or conversion. If you haven't had a conversation in leading someone to Christ, you're gonna, when you do, you're going to find out it's hard to change someone's point of view. Nobody likes change. And if we've been taught something for so long and we've adopted that as truth, even if it's our version of the truth... And then a believer comes alongside and reveals the real truth. It's hard for people to want to change. They either have to let go of this conviction they've grown up with, maybe even taught, and they have to grab a hold to what they actually need. And that's difficult. Jesus is telling that an unbeliever's mind here is initially closed and their hearts are hard. This is what Jesus does when he quotes from Isaiah. That there are going to be people who are going to hear, but they're not going to be willing to respond to it. And the will of an individual flows out of the heart of an individual, which all begins with a sinful nature and attachment to this world. Here's the thing, though. When we gather in this place that we call church, we form the church because we are here. That's how the church is made. This is just a building. We gather in the house of the Lord. Here's the thing we have to be aware of. Even as believers, we too can come with some issues. We can come with some prejudices. Things that our culture has taught us, personal agendas. We can come with things that we learn through our upbringing, through our family, our people around us. We can come with our own personal convictions. And we have to be aware of it because it can make our heart dull. It can make our ears clogged and our eyes blind. Whether we want to admit it or not, we have all been impacted by the culture we grew up in. We've all been impacted by the family life that we knew. We've all been impacted by friends that we have currently or that we have had in the past. We've all been impacted by relationships we have been in and relationships we are currently in. We all have been impacted by our workplace. Students, you have been impacted. 
by the classroom and the teachers that you sat under. All these have an impact on our heart. And they have the danger of making our heart hard to the things of God. And what the Bible is telling us is we cannot allow ourselves to become too lazy. To think and to dive deep and to understand the Word of God. But it's hard to admit for anyone, anyone to admit, whether they're a believer or not, that they could actually be wrong. Anybody here like to admit that you're wrong? No hands on that one. We'll try to excuse ourselves. When Jesus quotes from Isaiah, the language he's using here, this is not one of frustration there in verse 14 through 15. This is not one of frustration. Rather, it's one of sorrow. Because, again, the people are not willing to let go of what they're so attached to and grab a hold of what they need. Look there at the end of verse 15. Lest they should see with their eyes and they're here with their ears. That means a transformation, a change has to happen. And then they understand with their heart that once was dull and turned, that means to repent. He says, and I would heal them. But they were too hard and they were too blind to see and their ears were too clogged up to hear. That's this incredible gift standing right before them because they were impacted by their culture. In our culture, we can come to Jesus with some ideologies of our own. There's a sickness and there's a sinfulness that is beginning to creep into churches and the sermons that to be a Christian means that God is going to bless you with material possessions. You need to hear this. That is the prosperity gospel. That is not the gospel of God. Now, God is Jehovah Jireh. He is God, our provider. He is the giver of every good gift we have. But that does not mean when I become a child of God, God is going to make me rich or bless me financially. There is even a thought among believers that if you were to get sick or something were to break down, Stop working. The car needs to go to the shop. It must mean that we have some sort of sin in our life and God is punishing us for it because we're not responding to it. Do you know Jesus had to deal with that same false doctrine in his ministry? That's not a new ideology. That's been around for ages. It's something Satan tries to creep in. Yet we have to understand and recognize these are not scriptural. These are not the things of God. God's word and God himself is not concerned about your material possessions, or about my material possessions. Rather, God is concerned about the eternal treasures that we store up in heaven. So people are going to get COVID. People are going to get cancer. That does not mean because God is out to get them. Well, we have to understand when bad things happen, particularly to people, here's the reason. Here it is. Let's not give it any other title. Sin. And I'm not talking about a sinful act. I'm talking about every human being in this room, every human being on this planet is impacted by sin. This is why we get sick. It's because our bodies are infected with sin. Our bodies are weak. This is why we get sick. This is why people go to the hospital. This is why people ultimately die. When God, when bad things happen, 
It is not because God is punishing us. God loves us. Now, God will discipline us at times, but he does that even in love. So we have to be very careful with this conviction that bad things are happening because I'm doing bad things. Because you know what that's called? Karma. Karma says that if I do good things, then good things will happen to me. But if I do bad things, then bad things will happen to me. Karma is not Christianity. And so I'm I'm saying this because Jesus is trying to awaken his audience, and I've heard this in the church. I've even heard it in this church before, of that statement. If I do good things, good things will happen. If I do bad things, bad things will happen. That's karma. That is a Middle East religion. Basically, if you're living by that mindset, you're worshiping an idol. And we have to be aware of that. You're worshiping an idol because that comes from something outside of Scripture. God's Word. And Jesus' teaching were countercultural in the day they were spoken and still are today. Because God's ways are beyond our ways. And this world is corrupted in sin and with enemies of God. And since the things of God go against natural instincts in this world, which are spiritually concerned with ourself, we have to do what parables call us to do, and that is to dig deeper for further understanding. And not just with parables, but with the Word of God. That way we can flush out these false doctrines. We can flush out these false ideologies, these things we've been clinging to, which are not biblical and they're not godly. But to dig deeper for understanding, here's what it's going to take. It's going to require time. It's going to require time. You can't make it, so you got to take it. It's going to require time. It's going to require patience. You may have to read a passage three, four, five times. You may have to read it out loud, and it's going to require effort. And it's because of this, many people turn away from God and the things of God, and this is why those things have been kept secret. They can't understand it. They can't comprehend it. This is what Paul was led to write through the Holy Spirit to warn the Roman believers. Romans chapter 1, 19 through 25 says, For What can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I think we all want to hear that, wow, you're doing a great job. We all want to hear that we're doing okay. And most of us, at times, may even get to the temptation where, well, well, I'm not doing as bad as so-and-so. We can do that as a church. Well, our church isn't doing as bad as some other churches. The problem what Scripture reveals and what Jesus came to reveal is that everyone here sins. That means everyone here falls short of God's holy standards, and since we do... And 
And if that is not dealt with, our sin is not dealt with through Jesus Christ and faith in him alone, that means we're going to be eternally cut off from God and there's nothing we can do to work our way back to God. We can't be good enough. And so there's another plague which has come upon the American church that the church has come to believe is biblical. That if we're doing enough stuff that we title ministry, then we must be an active church. Or if we give a certain amount of money, then we must be all right. Or if, if attendance is growing and we continue to get larger, then we must be a healthy church. And we have to understand this is not a biblical model for the church. This is a business model. Businesses are built on doing, providing, gaining, and growing. Now, the church has those principles, but they're not based upon the world's achievements. None of those definitions are God by God and how he defines the church or even an individual that belongs to him. He doesn't find that as being right or being active or being healthy. And so when we buy into these traps of Satan, we claim to be wise. And Scripture says the opposite is true. We become fools. So what makes a church healthy is that the church body, everyone here, all of us are working together for one goal and purpose, to bring God glory and to bring people to God. When we do this, we are doing, providing, gaining, and growing the things of God. When Paul is instructing Timothy on leading the church of Ephesus, he gave him this warning 2,000 years ago. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But they're going to have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. If we're honest, we, we can relate to unbelievers because we all want to hear what we want to hear. This is the issue Jesus is dealing with when he teaches with parables. His audience, the crowds, wanted to hear what they want to hear. They wanted a that-a-boy. They wanted those good game butt slaps. They wanted to hear they were doing good. And we want the same thing. And when we don't hear it, we can excuse ourselves. Well, I'm not doing as bad as so-and-so. And this was Jesus' problem. This was the barrier he's trying to break through. People didn't want to hear the truth of what Jesus was proclaiming which would have called them to dig deeper and said their eyes were closed, their ears were clogged. They wanted a holy high five, but that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to right the ship. The people of God were going down a wrong direction. Jesus came to make God known and to right the ship, to get them back on the right path. In Jesus' day, the crowds had blinded themselves to the truth of the gospel, the truth of God, the truth of salvation, the truth of living a life that would be pleasing to God because they were living a life based on their desires, based on their own convictions. And so that's why when Jesus delivers a parable, you would see the crowds get divided. Because parables call us to make a decision. So they were given for a deeper understanding of eternal things. And we fall, we fail to dig deeper. We fail to compre comprehend the truth of God and his word. The end result, if we fail to dig deeper and comprehend God's love, then we can't really live out the commandment God gives us to love people. God commands us to love people, but our lack of digging deeper impacts our ability to love people. That's what Jesus is trying to reveal to his disciples and us today. We all long to be loved and be loved. We were created for this reason. 
You were created to love and be loved. In the end, we end up falling in love with certain types of foods, certain celebrities, sports teams, entertainment, material things. The reason we long for love is because God created us to love Him and to love others. It's our purpose here at Harvest still. Love God, love people. What some of us brought before God this morning is our learning through the world's teachings. The world teaches us we need to suppress our eternal longings for external longings. What well, I mean is we suppress our desire and need for God and we fill it with a desire and want for the things of this world. This world teaches and preaches it's all about us. And if we just get more stuff, we'll be happy. If we just did this, or we just had that, we would be fulfilled. So it causes us to go out and buy stuff. You know why we do that? Because that's easier than digging deeper. It's easy to get a temporary satisfaction than to dig deep into the things of God to understand what God is trying to tell us. So it causes our hearts and our souls to begin having a cheap love. We have a love for the cheap things of this world, which God tells us all of it's going to pass away. I don't know if anybody can relate to me, but sometimes I forget everything I own or everything I want to own is not going with me to heaven. And so there's more important things. We find Jesus speaking in parables to defeat this battle. When Jesus spoke in parables. Parables were meant to capture the individual's heart for the purpose of changing that individual's heart. Called the individual to move past the external and the material and move to the internal and the eternal. Christian life, our life is meant to be all about falling more in love with God, about knowing Him more, to having a desire to be in His presence and to seek after Him. We get these parables to illuminate truth and to guide us to respond to the things of God in a proper way. Sometimes it's just to give us an understanding about who he is and how he works, but sometimes the parables we're going to find out are actually to give us an understanding on how we should treat people, even people we don't like and people we don't associate with. Parables call us to leave what is familiar and comfortable in order to begin a romance with the one true God who is head over heels in love with us. So God has brought us here this morning be in such a relationship with him. And for some of us who have already begun this, maybe the challenge this morning is start digging deeper. Be a disciple and go before God and say, why did you say this? What did you mean by that? And allow God's word to reveal the truth in your life. But there might be some here this morning that are having a conviction in your heart and you don't really know what it's about, and I'll tell you what it is. I've mentioned sin. We all have sin. And that sin is separating you from God. But I want to give you some good news. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was sent by God to take away your sin problem. The Bible reveals that God created us for a relationship with him, but it's our sin that's going to separate us from God. Our sin is going to separate us from God for eternity if it's not dealt with. And again, it's not about you doing good stuff. Good stuff's fine, but that's not going to do it. Because we can't earn, work, or prove ourselves to God that we deserve forgiveness. 
But God, because he loves you and he is for you, sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins. He did. They placed him in a tomb and rose three days later that you might be completely forgiven if, here it is, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What that means is you tell God that you are a sinner, you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and you believe you need forgiveness and is found through Christ alone, and then you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says when you do that, you believe in your heart and you confess, you will be forgiven and be given eternal life. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to do that, I beg you, when we stand and sing this last song, to come down and just say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. There won't be a person in this room that won't be excited. Maybe you're here and you realize, you know what, I've been going after cheap things. And I want to go after the richness of God. That's what disciples wanted. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank you for everything you do for us. Lord, thank you you allow us not only to come in your presence, but to know you more because we are known by you. Thank you for this incredible gift of your word that was delivered through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit you've placed inside of us that we might understand the secrets or things that we may not have understood before that are found in this word. Lord, thank you that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Your spirit can't be taken from us, and we have an eternal inheritance that will never spoil. But Lord, if there's someone here this morning, and you know the hearts of all people, who is not a child of yours, Lord, I pray to you in the name of Jesus that your spirit would come upon them. They would have that understanding. Their eyes would be open. Their ears would be able to hear. And their hearts would no longer be dull, but they would turn to you. Let today be the day of their salvation. We ask you to continue to be glorified as we come this time of invitation, this time of response. Lord, that we not just be hearers of your word, but doers. We praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.